0: Let me recap a couple of them for you. She may be a stranger trying to get through the day, but what if it's Jesus and I walk away? I say I'm the body and drink of the wine. How about that? Thank like you. That's just a little bit. I won there to see how far I could get her to walk up. <laughs> it's always me. It's always me. <laughs> so uh, this parable talks about more than simply helping people. It really, I think this ta- parable talks about excuses. I think it talks about self-justification. I think it talks about self-centeredness. You ever find yourself struggling with any of those three? Yeah, good, because I, I do as well, and I'm your pastor. So if you got in here and you didn't get the sermon notes, uh, slip up your hand, because we're going to walk through these for the next few minutes. Uh, Richard's back there. He loves this part of the service, and uh, sometimes I see him, I go over to his house, I see him practicing this, <laughs> um, so he takes it really seriously, yeah. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. Let me allow to, uh, to kind of paraphrase the first five verses, but you can read along Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. One day this expert of the law comes to Jesus, right? Expert of the law means he knew his Bible really, really well. He asks a question with a desire really to test Jesus. It's a good question, but it's got a bad motive. He's an expert in the law. He's probably memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. How about that for you? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. That's what an expert in the law would have done. And so he says, uh, this, asks this question of Jesus, what do I need to do to get to heaven? Now Jesus, being you know, pretty wise himself, he flips this around on the expert, and he asks him a question. He says, you're the expert of the law, what do you think? And then the guy starts to think about what he knows from Scripture, and he actually recites Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and uh, he, he cites it pretty well. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, really, in essence, Jesus says, Hey, good answer. That's a great answer. But here's the problem. That even though the expert gave the right answer he had a very hard time applying this to his own life. You see, knowledge was not a problem, but he had a problem with application. Did I just describe you right there? I certainly describe myself at times. Knowledge is rarely the problem. Application is the problem. That's what's going on in this guy's heart. Here's what the Bible says in in Romans 3.20. It says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. That's what the, the guy is citing. In other words, none of you, none of us, you know, none of us are going to obey the whole law. Rather, he says, through the law, we become conscious of our own sin. Meaning, we know we can't keep every letter of the law because we're not perfect. Therefore, we know what sin is. We know we're sinners in need of God's grace. But if we're not careful, here's what we do. We do like the scribe did, and we try to justify ourselves instead of actually actually calling it sin. How do we do that? We say, oh, I, you know, I'm a good Christian. How do I know I'm a Christian? Well, I, you know, I go to church. You know, I kind of love people-ish. Huh. You see, if we're able to limit the law, then we're able to limit our responsibilities. Don't miss that. It's important. If I'm able to limit the word of God then I can limit what I'm responsible to follow and obey. That's kind of what's going on. The expert says, oh, neighbor, well, hmm, you know, who's my neighbor? Jesus. You see, the the Jews of Jesus' day, their neighbor would have been somebody who had the same ethnic and religious persuasion as they did. That would have been their neighbor. In other words, to the Jew, his neighbor was who? A fellow Jew. That was his neighbor. made perfectly good sense to him. And so in that definition, the expert of the law here, he can easily justify all his actions. He can easily justify everything he does for other people because he has this view of who his neighbor is. I'll just simply, I'll just simply do well by my fellow Jews. It would, be like, um, it would be like you and I saying, I love others as long as they're Christians. Or I love others as long as they have a job and are in a pretty good socioeconomic level. Then I really love other people. That's really what's going on with the expert of the law. That's how he's talking and how he's thinking here. But then Jesus, in his brilliance, like he often does, he redefines the word neighbor entirely. In fact, just sometimes when we think we kind of have it all down and we're doing, you know, everything that a Christian could possibly ever do, Jesus hits us with something in a way that we said, oh, that's what he means. And that's what he's doing. He's redefining this. And how does he do it? By telling a parable. And that's why we've been walking through these parables, because the lessons about Jesus and the kingdom of God are so powerful. So if you've got your Bibles open, follow along. Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 30 now. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along uh, on the screen. Here's what it says. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him the next day he took out two denarii and gave him gave them to the innkeeper look after him he said and when i return i will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have which of these 3 do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers the expert in the law, replied, uh, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So how do you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, respond to the needs of those around us? First thing I think this morning we need to do is just identify the crisis. What's the crisis? There's a man beaten, left for dead, in the middle of the road. (laughs) It's pretty apparent that there's a crisis. You know, a crisis by definition, is a dangerous opportunity. It actually comes from a Chinese word that's made up of the words danger and opportunity. You see, Jerusalem to Jericho, that was a distance of about 17 miles. It was an elevation drop of about 3,000 feet. This was a very treacherous road. It was a dangerous road. In fact, it was known uh, to be a place where robbers kind of hung out. And so you can see, as Jesus told the story, it would make sense to his audience What he's talking about here. The man was coming along, the robbers attacked him, they stole his clothes, they beat him, they left him half dead. These sounded like pretty desperate robbers that they would even take his clothes and and wear his clothes. So that's what's going on. The man is left in a crisis situation. This is going to be an incredibly dangerous opportunity for anyone who might come by. You know, I, I believe that every day there's people around us who are in crisis some of our eyeballs are just a little bigger than others to see it. But they're around every single one of us every day. In fact, it's people who are half dead, or maybe it's better said they're kind of half alive. They're facing dangers, they're having relational issues, they're having health issues, financial struggles, marital issues, you know, physical issues. And if we don't step in as the body of Jesus Christ, many times they're going to destroy themselves. If we don't step in and we share in the responsibility of offering to them what Jesus Christ offers to us, they may be alive physically, but spiritually, they self-destruct. Dangerous opportunities. And so, many of the people in crisis, you know what? They are so ready for our love and concern. They're so open to it. It's this incredible opportunity for us to listen and to learn and to help in the need. That's why we always have to be praying for these opportunities and we have to keep our eyeballs open wide when they come our way. George Phillips, he's an elderly man from Naples, Florida. He's going to bed when his wife said, honey, you left the light on in the shed out back. She could see it from the window. So George opened the door, the backsliding door, to go out back into the yard to turn off the lights in the garden shed when he noticed that there was actually people in the shed stealing things from him. So he called the police, and and they asked, is somebody in your house? And he said, no, no one's in my house, but they're out in my shed, and I can see them, and they're stealing things. And he said, okay, of all the uh, patrols, everyone's busy right now, so you should just lock your doors, and an officer will be along when one's available. (laughs) That's comforting, right? (laughs) He said, okay, he hung up the phone. He waited 30 seconds, and he called back. He said, I... I just want you to know, I called a few moments ago because there was people stealing some stuff from my shed. You don't need to be concerned anymore because I went out and I shot them and killed them and the dogs are eating them right now. (laughs) And he hung up the phone. (laughs) Within five minutes, six police cars, a SWAT team, a helicopter, two fire trucks, a paramedic, and an ambulance showed up at the house and they caught the burglars red-handed. And one of the policemen asked, "Uh, George, I thought you said you shot them. (laughs) And he said, well, I thought you said no one was available. The moral of the story, don't mess with elderly people. They're just, they're just smarter than us. No, really, the first thing we have to do when we see people is we have to assess the need. What's the crisis? What's going on? Is there an area where God is calling me to serve, to help, to get involved? What's the need? Secondly, I think we just have to simply show concern. Do you ever like it when somebody just shows concern for something that's going on in your life? I mean, I told you a few weeks ago, I, I uh, have been doing this CrossFit for a few months, and my poor wife gets to hear every little move I do in there. Um, and I know she probably is, has heard it enough, and she's tired of hearing it, but it sure makes me feel good when I come home and, you know, she shows a little interest, a little concern, I guess, because most of the time I'm, I'm hurt. And so <laughs> it's, it's pretty nice. We like it. The man is laying there. He's in a crisis, right? Sit, sitting there, laying in the road, half beaten. And the scripture says that this priest came along, and he saw the man, and what did he do? He did a great job as a man of the cloth and helped this guy. Now he passed on the other side. Wait a minute, I mean, shouldn't of all people, it should be a priest that would stop and help the man in the road? I mean, certainly he should do something here. Why didn't the priest stop and help? Have you ever asked that question? I mean, was there some legitimate reason? And we always want to be careful we don't break a parable down too far because that's not the point of a parable. It it would have been common in that day for a priest to actually serve in Jerusalem at the temple but live in Jericho, and so there was kind of a commute. You go for a few days, you do your temple responsibilities, and then you go home for a few days, and you kind of go back and forth. That would have been commonplace. So maybe he didn't stop because he's on his way home, and wanted to get there after doing his temple duties or who knows. We find uh, maybe he just is scared of his own safety. It was pretty common that uh, a priest, a a clergy would be left alone by robbers, but there's no guarantee that he couldn't be attacked as well, so maybe he just was fearful of his safety. Uh, Maybe here he thought, as you and I think sometimes, well, somebody else is going to stop. or Somebody is walking and they look like they could stop, too, and they look like they might be a little better equipped to help him out than I am, so I'll keep moving along. Or maybe he could have claimed religious reasons. You see, if the man was actually dead, then as a priest, he couldn't go and touch that dead body. He would actually be made unclean, which means he couldn't go do his duties in the temple. So maybe he was just fearful that he was going to lose his job uh, as a religious person. We don't know why, for sure, But what we do know is Jesus is very clear he passed on the other side. And then came this Levite. Now, a Levite and a priest, they were in charge of all the ceremonial duties in the temple. That was their role. They all came from the tribe of Levi. And so maybe this Levite had similar reasons to the priest for not stopping. We don't really know. We just know he did likewise, and he didn't get involved. In fact, the Bible doesn't just say that they kept going. It says what? It emphasizes they passed on the other side. They didn't want to be involved, and they didn't even want to really know what was going on in this situation. If we're not careful, though, I think we do the same thing. We don't want to know about a situation and know about a need. I don't want to get involved because, you see, the less I know about a crisis— then the less I feel motivated to get involved. The less I feel responsible to need to step out and do something, the less I feel obligated to help. Can I put it another way? Listen to this. If you don't know the needs or the crisis in your neighborhood or your city or so long, you don't know or you don't have any guilt for not stepping in and helping at all. If you don't know what's going on, then I don't feel guilty if I don't do anything. And so after all, I mean, I could say I go to church, I study the Bible, I'm a pretty good Christian. If we're on our way to work, if you're on your way to visit a friend, if you're just out and about, what do you do when you see somebody in need? Is there a concern that pops up in your heart? Do we pass by and feel guilty? Do we pass by and feel not guilty at all? can I tell you about a relationship that's, that's been very significant to me over the last three years? Um, and that's my friendship with Ray Mashinsky here in the church. Um, many of you know Ray and Faith. They run a Christian bookstore in Kernersville. Um, but it has been, for me, a, a very pleasant little 15-minute drive down to Kernersville to be able to sit and to process and talk sometimes about what I'm trying to track through in a sermon and, and maybe a book or a resource that could be uh, important for me. Or maybe just about you know what's going on in my own spiritual journey. And, and he shares likewise those type of things. But I want to be honest with you. In the last year or so, or maybe more, year and a half, There's been this other aspect of my relationship with Ray that my eyes have just been wide open to, and that is the ministry that goes on in their little Christian bookstore, their Christian store there in Kernersville. You see, when I go in, I I sit and I hang out for a while. Um, I look at books, I sit and I read and talk to him. Sometimes I watch VeggieTales. I mean, I, I hung out there for a while, and I get to watch... this this couple interact with people. I see people come in, and for some reason or another, going into a Christian store, going into a place of retail, they end up kind of spilling their guts and sharing about what they're going through in life. And then there's Ray and Faith, who kind of stop what they're doing, the business, and they start interacting and sharing and ministering to this couple. I think about this showing concern. There's a million other things in the back room, the storeroom, the, the whatever you have to do to run a business, they could be doing besides showing concern. And uh, actually this morning, I had I, I wanted to, to just ask them, ask Ray, why, why do you do that? Why, does that? why does that even come about and be part of who you are? And Ray, that microphone next to you can use that. And would you just share with us, why do you show concern?
1: First, he called me out in uh, 1993. I walked out the door. I saw guy me to do something more than making beer. Uh, he was telling me to serve in the community. Um, we started in a mall, Haynes Mall, and we were more evangelists because we would entice people into our store with nice gifts. Um, and then we moved to Kernersville hour and, and we pretty much lost 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 it all but we started again in Kernersville and probably the best thing we ever did and we just put a sign in Haynes Mall we were limestone Books in Kernersville we we're Lemestone Christian Store and when you drive into the parking lot the Target in Kernersville the first thing you see is Christian you won't see anything else but the big word 20 foot long signs as Christian. And, uh, and that's what, um, that's been both a, a, an opportunity for interruptions <laughs> and faith has to remind And she reminds me all the time, I don't know what I do without her. Sometimes I get so busy in the back room trying to keep the store running kind of keeping the operation going, keeping the product going, on. Um, and that uh, I forget. She reminds me constantly that uh, interruptions are opportunities to minister. As a matter of fact, if I had a sign in the store, if I had a motto, that would be my motto: that interruptions are opportunities to minister. Uh, I was there to minister when a man came in the mall running into the store and said, I need you saved. Can you help me? So I I let him in the bathroom. I let him to the Lord. Mm-hmm. we were there um, and, and again um, during the first 12 years Faith supported me by working two and three jobs while we ministered while I ministered in the store our dream right from the start was to minister together and, uh, and it's funny how God works uh, since Faith's stroke she's on total disability now, guess what she did in the store Ministering society, and if you would ask me for my opinion, that's not how I would have asked the Lord to do it. Our dream was that the business would be so successful that she would be able to quit the job and eventually become minister. But that never, that never materialized. But nonetheless, we were there um, more and more. That word Christian um, symbolizes us as a place people come in that door expecting to find some way them, somebody to care, somebody to understand. Um, we were there just a few months ago when we had a couple um, back over their baby with an SUV He came in the store looking for something, something to read, something to support them. Um, we were there for a young man when he was out with his buddy on the, the tow truck. He got out of his car, to help a passenger and was dropped dead be able to run off the road and hit. Um, we were there so many times the people uh, in this day and age uh, not a lot of people are really connected to the church and I'm thinking about this church because we're not that really. we have so many people in bigger churches that really aren't connected they have nowhere to turn when they move and turn come into our parking lot they see the word Christian um, we've got a, a homeless man that But he did every kind of he's in desperate need. Um, he fell into a manhole. Uh, his name, I'm not gonna call him home name, because he has a name, his name is Michael Pest. We've been praying for him for five years. Today he came into our store. He fell into a manhole cover and he broke his, he really injured a leg that was severely injured years and years ago. We took him into our home for three nights until we could make a hospital visit kind of things, or just the opportunities that people that we have, if I can, uh, if I get that sweet call from the front desk saying, uh, "Ray, there's somebody I that you need to talk to," um, when she says, "There's somebody I, that I need to talk to," I know what that means. Sometimes there's there's a salesperson, and she'll say, you really need to see so and so some today?" But when, when she says there's somebody out here that you need to talk to, I get the <laughs> message. Um, and it's been a joy. Um, we've been doing this for, for 19 years now. Uh, and joy is that, 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 that I get to do it with my wife now. Uh, and uh, I, just, I just pray that, um, that God would just keep pounding in my head. Thanks, Tom, for, for this message today because I need it. You know, we all need to hear it. Here. Uh, it's so easy to pass up. It's so easy to bury our head in our work uh, and not care. Uh, it's so easy to say, I'm in the back room, I'm doing something really important. I can't come off right now. Uh, it's so easy to say, well, I'm talking to a vendor, I'm ordering something, uh, I'm talking to somebody that uh, a collection needs. It wants to know when they're going to be paid, and uh, I can't come out right now. Um, but we need these positive reminders uh, that we're here to serve, and interruptions uh, sometimes are dangerous. Uh, when we took this man to go home, uh, we, we made a decision in front of us in Starbucks, and Faith looked at me, and I knew what she was thinking. I said, honey, we can't do it. I said, we don't know this man. He could steal everything we own. And she looked at me and said, yeah. <laughs> okay. But he could kill us. We don't know the man. He could be violent. He could kill us while we sleep. Yeah, I don't know. where will we be? I said, we'll be with Jesus. <laughs> so that, that day after we closed the store, I went and looked at another. It's a man that I brought to church with me on Sunday morning. After that church service, I was so... I was such a good Christian bringing him to a service, into this mm-hmm. church service to be with our family here at Wendover Hills. And then I took him back on that rainy day. It was a March day, and it was about 40 degrees outside. The man could barely walk through his own crutches. And I don't think he looked at me and said, what are we going to do with Are we going to put him back in the cold? And so that's when we had this discussion in, in Starbucks. And after we closed the store that day, I went and I found him, and he told me where his tent was. And, uh, we brought him in Darwin for three days. But those are the opportunities that we've been blessed in. That. As long as God gives us the, the financial ability to do it and the strength to keep doing it, we'll, we're going to continue to try to give a lighthouse in Kernsville to the tri-city area. Right.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Ray. Now I can't uh, I can't tell you where to do your shopping, but uh, I will at least encourage you to go out there and check that out because the veggie tails are real good. So <laughs> encourage you. So this past Wednesday, uh, when when the uh, the blizzard hit, um, we I had to take Shree to work and um, and you know, on our way by we passed a young man who had slid off the road. He popped his. his tire over the curb. I think we were just making fun, you know, being from Chicago. We were just making fun of North Carolina snow drivers, and there he was needing some help. So, uh, I, you know, I kind of just continued right on by. I said, look at that guy. Um, and then it, like, hit me immediately. Like, Tom, you know, you idiot. What are you doing? You're talking about the Good Samaritan this Sunday. You know, you've been working on it for three days. So what's the matter with you? So, we did stop, and we turned around. We helped the pushed the guy's car off the curb, and he got back going uh, where he needed to go. You know, if we're not careful, we can continue to drive by, and pretty soon, we don't even feel guilty about it. That's the danger. We block it out. Because if we don't block it out, guess what? Then we got to do something, right? So we cope and block it out. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John 3. This may be the verse that you need to hear today and and hone and take home. Here's what it says. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And so the priest and the Levite, the two that knew better, they pass on the other side, right? But then there's this good Samaritan this outcast, and this is the one that if you were a Jewish person, you didn't even touch a Samaritan because they would have been deemed unclean. This is the person who comes along and helps. Can you imagine Jesus telling this story to a bunch of Jewish people about the Samaritan? I mean, talk about ticking people off. And this would be like if Jesus was telling a story today, right, to us as Christians, and the hero of the story was an unchurched person. That's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. Why did Samaritan stop and help? He realized there was somebody in need. It's that simple. Why do we not stop and help? We often don't really realize there is somebody in need of our help. That's what he realized. He put the other person's need ahead of his own safety. Now this was an outcast, a Samaritan, so maybe he understood what it was like to be an outcast. He didn't have any problem with stopping and touching a a body. In fact, it said that he had pity on them and his heart was moved with compassion. You see, I think if we're not careful, we only offer religion. And religion gives answers without actions. Religion, it just gives answers. We love to debate things, talk about things, you sit around and sometimes in fellowship with other Christians about things we already know about the Bible. But on the other hand, Christianity gives action without acknowledgement. That's really what's going on here. Christianity just says, what would Jesus do? And then we just step up and we do it. But if we're not careful, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, it's much easier for for us to function in this Christian country by debating theological things. And should we or shouldn't we do this? You may say, well, what do you mean by that? You see, look, as long as I can argue and debate about Christian things, I don't really have to do anything. And I feel like I covered it pretty well. And we do this when it comes to to giving. We say things like, well, should you follow the Old Testament view of giving or the New Testament view of giving should you tithe off your gross or should you tithe off your net? Should I give ten percent to the church or can I divide it up and kind of give it wherever I want? And the funny thing is that I found over sixteen years of ministry is people that are regularly giving and being super generous with what God has given to them, they don't ever ask these questions. <laughs> They're never debating these issues. Is it free will theology or is it eternal security? Well, I happen to be a free will thinker here, uh, theologically. But no matter how you draw it up, how you think it, there you have to reach people for Jesus Christ, right? You've got to be doing that. What about end times? Is it premillennial or a millennial, postmillennial, no millennial? You know, I don't care millennial. What, you know, what is it to you? Well, I have my thoughts on it that as I've studied, but but my key opinion is be ready every day, and you're going to be okay. But if we're not careful, it's easier for us to debate other Christians, because as long as I debate, I don't have to take care of your needs. Listen, is it wrong for us to debate and talk about theological issues? Absolutely not. It's one of the things I love reading about the most in my my reading, my spare reading time. But look, it can never supersede the mission. In fact, our theology actually propels us into the mission when we really see what Jesus is all about in God's Word. How do you know about yourself? Well, ask yourself, over the last couple of months, have you gotten caught up into a lot of theological debates or debates on whether I should or shouldn't do this, but never offered an invitation for anyone to be in church with you or to talk about what Jesus can bring to their life? Uh, you may have an issue with that. How do you help people in need? Identify the crisis, show concern, and finally, we have to count the cost. And this Samaritan's love for his neighbor proved very costly. Look at what he did. He used his own supplies to clean the man's wounds, oil and wine. If the guy was naked, they took his clothes. He probably used clothes, his own clothes to clothe him. He used his own money to pay for his care, and he used his own reputation as credit as well. It's like he just gave the innkeeper his card and said, look, I'll be back through. Whatever he puts on this, I'll take care of it in the inn. That, that is a cost. Listen, love and service can be very costly. Don't forget that. Ministry is very costly. And sometimes, as followers of Christ, we forget the cost that Jesus paid for us. And we forget the cost that He demands of us as followers as well. What's the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Show up to church? You know, give a few percent, maybe uh, go to a small group every once in a while. Well, oh, those are all good things. We talk about those things, but it's so much more. Luke 14, 25 captures this. Let's read it. Large clou- crowds, excuse me, were traveling with Jesus, and turning them, and turning to them, he said, "Now, look, if you got a large clou- crowd, excuse me, and you want to thin it out, here's a pretty good way to thin out your crowd. Listen to what Jesus says." If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own wife, such a person cannot be my disciples. Can you see people listening to him say, whew, rolling out, (laughs) I'm out of here. These are powerful words. I think they're already looking at each other saying, what in the world? He goes on though, he says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Then he actually gives two examples to this. Call them two more little parables if you want. Here's what he says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees you will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppress the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. So what's Jesus saying? He says, if if you're going to follow me, you better count the cost. He finishes up by saying, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything... You cannot be my disciples. Whew. I mean, the key word there is everything. You see, this doesn't fly well for us as American followers of Jesus Christ. This is radical Christianity. He's saying, look, if Jesus is either the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. It's one or the other in our life is what Jesus is saying here. How do you know if he's Lord of all or not Lord at all? Well, again, are you still debating giving tens of percent? Are you still debating going to church? Are you still debating whether serving in ministry? Are you still frustrated by the opportunities to be a blessing to somebody else that Jesus puts in your path? This uh, old hymn came to mind this week. Many of you probably all know it, but let me read a few parts of it. It says, Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise, take my hands and let them move, take my feet and let them be, take my voice and let me sing, take my lips and let them be, take my silver and my gold, not a mite what I withhold, take my intellect, take my will and make it thine, take my love, take myself, and I will be ever only all to thee. You Think about what that hymn is saying take my life, my moments, my hands, my feet, my voice, my lips, my silver, my gold, my will, my heart, my love, myself. That's what it means to be all in. That's what Jesus is getting at here in the story of the Good Samaritan, how we serve others. Micah 6.8 puts it this way. He has showed you, oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, to the robbers, this traveler was a Jew, and he was a victim to be exploited. So what did they do? They attacked him. The priest and the Levite, he was a nuisance to be avoided, so what did they do? They passed on the other side. But to the Samaritan, this was a neighbor in need of love and help and service, and so he took care of him. What about us? What's the takeaway this morning? It's simply this, I think, the question that's in your notes. What are we doing about the opportunity God puts before us? What are we doing about those opportunities? Our theme this year is is outward. In fact, a few weeks ago, we handed out a little over 100 shirts that look like the one I'm wearing. Some of you wore yours this morning as well. We actually have 30 more that are coming next week. If you didn't get one of those shirts, we'd be happy to give you one. It's a tangible reminder for us to get out of our comfortable Christianity and to go out and actually serve and be a blessing to other people. But listen, all the t-shirts in the world will do no good whatsoever if we're unable to follow the example of the good Samaritan as Jesus tells this story this morning. What are we doing about the opportunity God puts before us? You're not immune. I'm not immune. God has put opportunities in in front of us to serve and be a blessing to other people. So my encouragement this week, how about we go at them with action? We go at them with action this week and offer something more than just debate. Let me pray for you on this. Father, I thank you for who you are and what you're teaching me. Lord, I, I... realize so often, I I get into this thinking that, you know, I'm the pastor, I'll be the example, and I'll kind of lead the charge in some of this, and yet, then you kind of smack me around and say, Tom, you're just, but your heart hasn't surrendered in that area yet, (laughs) at least not to the level I'm calling you to. And so, Lord, I know this week as I was studying and writing, Lord, I had a heart to surrender to you. And I would guess just, just my fellow family here at Wendover Hills, there would be many that sit in these chairs this morning that they have a heart to surrender in the area of serving and caring for other people. And I would guess that, like me, that there are many that they go on their path and they can justify a lot of reasons why they haven't stopped and helped. Father, this morning, my prayer is that we would walk out of here. This group, and Lord that at very least, Lord, you know you would have about 160 people who are at your disposal this week to do what you need us to do in the area of caring for other people and serving other people. And what impact we might be able to make for your kingdom because of that. Lord, may, may we, may we get off being so caught up in the debate. And when we get caught up in the action of your kingdom. And then, Lord, I'm praying that you would throw wide open the door of of the invites into the family that will come because we're serving people. And that you'd fill our seats with people who have been cared for and served by this body of believers. You can do it, Lord. We believe it. May our hearts be right as we step out in faith with you in that journey. We pray in your Son's name. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you uh, for that. Um, I know that the Good Samaritan, if we really dive in, it's challenging. It's been challenging for my heart uh, as well. Well, if you have your card, please take a moment to just, just finish off filling that out so that you can turn it in. Every Monday morning, 7 o'clock, there's a group of guys that get together to pray for all the needs of the church, which means if you put it on the card and it's not like ultra-private, um, we pray for those every Monday morning. You're lifted up in prayer. It's a, it's a significant thing we do. So please let us know those as well. Baptism membership class next week. And then on the back table, there's some sign-ups for the potluck. Now we have several of you that are signed up to bring something as well, but we need quite a bit more food. So if you would go back to that table and just sign up on one of those sheets for bringing something to the potluck next week, uh, that would be be really good. So, again, if you don't have a place for the Super Bowl, join us. Just write Super Bowl. I'll call you. We'll get you plugged in somewhere tonight that you can go and, and uh, impose all you want to impose and eat. You probably don't even have to bring anything to eat, um, you know? So, what's well, okay, I might be being vetoed, but no. No, you just come and, and eat, and we'll have you covered. So, that'd be great. Well, why don't you stand with me? Our ushers are going to come through and take our morning offering. I want to commend you Again, last month, on, on the month of January, we exceeded budget by about $1,500, and so it was an awesome thing. So keep up your faithfulness in the area of giving as well, and uh, we'll go out singing One more.